0: Hello and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. Join us as we explore his longer adventure stories in their chronological publishing order. We'll talk about what makes them so enduring, their historical context, and how well they hold up today. So get out your reprint and get ready to enjoy our remarks welcome back to bark's remarks i'm mark severino a grown man who enjoys duck comics and i am joined by a returning guest host i've got warren Harmon here warren could you uh reintroduce yourself and let us know if you've ever had the pleasure of uh being on a riverboat
1: Oh, well, thanks mark great to be back um with this story this uh is a is a kind of a childhood memory that I cherish. And uh, for a few reasons, uh, I live in the state where the Mississippi river comes from. So, uh, that, that, that means a lot and, uh, up here in Minnesota, but, uh, but longtime barks collector, uh, and comic fan, uh, really everything barks and yeah, that's the steamboat riverboat uh, connection here. There's a wonderful little river town called red wing Minnesota, where they have a tourist riverboat, uh, that, uh, you can jump on in the summer and, and lazily go down the Mississippi, and it's really a lot of fun to do that. So uh, it, it, it's around a lake that actually is embedded in the river called Lake Pepin, and uh, it's just a wonderful experience. But I think the most memorable, and I believe it is still a steamboat, uh, listeners will correct me, but I think the Mark Twain at Disneyland is is something that I uh, have been on many times because every time I go to the park out in Anaheim, I love a ride around in the mark on the mark, 20. yeah, that's uh,
0: that's true. I never really thought about it, but I guess, <laughs> I guess technically it is, it is a genuine, <laughs> a bona fide river uh, steamboat. It is a, yeah, steam? yeah. So I've gotten to, I've gotten to be on a um, a riverboat on the Mississippi. My cousin had a Mississippi, had a uh, New Orleans wedding, and part of the festivities included um, a reception on a riverboat. Floating down the Mississippi, which was just just spectacular, great experience. Um, yeah, it's
1: a romantic adventure, no no question. And and imagine back to the the nineteenth century heyday when they were they were the uh, a, a major form of transportation. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. And and steamboats and the Mississippi River, you know, they figure they figure in a really important way into the barks and the duck stories, right? Because. I shouldn't bury the lead here. We're we're gonna be talking today about the great steamboat race. Um, and and Barks really, his imagination was really fired by well, these these steamboats, by these river boats.
1: Well, there's no question that in I really believe he was he, fired is is a great word. He he his a man imagi- coal fired. Sorry. Coal fired, right? <laughs> right. And he he just just really relishes in looking back in history. And, you know, we'll do a little research. Uh, uh, we'll do a little bit of historical perspective here as well. But uh, yeah, this is a kind of a, a almost a love story with the river, kind of like Mark Twain had. you got Barks has the same kind of romantic notions about the river and the racing and the Old South.
0: Right. Yeah. The Mississippi is an important piece of Americana. Um, and, and one way or another, it just really figures in Scrooge's backstory. Yes. You know, Barks has gone back to this a couple of times. And, and when Don Rosa um, picked up those stories, he added his own flair. Um, it's, it's a really great setting for these stories. So let's see. The the great steamboat race was published in Uncle Scrooge number 11 and that was back in the cover date was September of 1955. Right. Um, this is a pretty jaunty short little lark of a story Warren 16 pages. What what do you think? I like it.
1: I uh, as much as I love getting into a a, a 28 or a 32 page story, uh, the 16-pagers seem to deliver a lot of action in a short amount of time and get right to the point with, with one strong story that thread. And, uh, and, you know, you can't really deviate too far from from the plot and you have to stay with it all the way to the end but i, I like it it's a nice it's a it's a pal- palatable uh story length for me
0: yeah i mean i like it too sometimes it's i it's nice to see what he can do at different lengths you know i i didn't check for sure but i'm pretty sure that apart from uh the firebug and atom bomb, Donald's atom bomb. This is the shortest adventure length story we've done so far. Yeah, And and when I created the podcast, I I didn't start out doing the 10 pagers. I kind of pivoted to do give those their own little um, sub brand. But but I, I had to think about which stories I wanted to cover. Right. And and, you know, this one was paired in Uncle Scrooge number 11, along with another 16 pager. And we could talk about both of those. But, you know, to me it's important that each of these episodes really gives these adventure stories their like full do they're 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 full focus so um that's that's how i want to do it you know this right. one's going to be a little bit more of a shorter yeah uh, shorter one
1: and it stands on its own really well it is as an adventure story um with a competitive race with a callback to history with intriguing character uh in in uh, horseshoe hog i mean it really does uh, have a lot of fun stuff
0: yeah, this is a memorable one. I I'll, I'll admit that this has never been like one of my all-time favorites. Um, I do find it very enjoyable, but like I realized going back to it that I I hadn't reread this one to the way that it it wasn't burned into my memory. Right. Like some of them were. I generally remembered all of the story beats right there. There are the occasional stories that I revisit and I, I'm like, I'm surprised that I don't I don't remember certain parts of them. <laughs> and then there are those where I just like I, I might as well not reread it because I remember <laughs> it so well. This one, you know, I, I remembered it in general. I remembered the general, like, architecture of the story. I just didn't remember the specific beats. So that, that'll be fun to to revisit this one. Um, I didn't mention the number of reprints. This one, for whatever reason, hasn't been reprinted as often. It only has nine American reprints total. And, you know, uh, it, it, we, we always... We like to mention um, titles from around the world. I-, I took a quick peruse of this one. It generally seems like most publishers have gone with a pretty straightforward translation. So I'll just mention one that I liked from Spain, which was Duelo en el Mississippi, mm-hmm. Duel in the Mississippi. I like that one. And then later on, again in Spain, it was La Gran Regata de Vapores, ah. which I
1: think is just the great steam race. Ah. Um, so that's fun. Am I correct to assume that the steamboat is truly an American invention? It is, isn't it? Uh, Fulton.
0: Yeah, I I think that's right. I don't, I don't have Wikipedia open in front of me or anything, but I I um, believe it uh, is.
1: And I believe that's the, (laughs) uh, that probably attracted me to this story was the origin on the Mississippi, the history, uh, you know, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm in Minnesota where the Mississippi river starts and I've been on it many times on different parts of it, but also the history and, uh, just. Scrooge's competitive nature comes out in this. This is this is the fun part. And you can't forget the boys. They they are, in my opinion, the stars of this story. They save the day as usual.
0: Yeah, it's true. They're pretty important here. I think you're right. This one feels like more American than most of the adventure stories that we've seen so far in like the Uncle Scrooge run of comics we're we're finally out of the like single digits we're we're pretty thoroughly into this run of Uncle Scrooge comics here and and so you know i guess barks is willing to play a little bit with his format here which is why we get this 16 pager what do you say warren you ready to dive into it
1: let's go let's get on that uh on that steamboat and go on that race
0: yeah let's do let's get our tickets punched <laughs> um the great steamboat race Opens up, you know, it's striking me, Warren, that this is one of the handful of early Uncle Scrooge bark stories that does not open with him
1: in the bin. He's not in the money bin. He's um, he's pushing uh, this Southern gentleman out of his office. But yeah, you're right. It, he do- it doesn't start that way.
0: Yeah, you're right. So we've got Scrooge in his private office and he is giving the bum rush to a character that we're going to learn is named Horseshoe Hog. Um, Barks loves that alliteration. And, yeah. and they're basically in the middle of this like long stewing argument, right? Where the the, the other ducks, Donald and the nephew, are walking up and they're they're kind of serving as the audience surrogate. And they listen to um, Hogg, who's kind of ranting about a hassle between the two of them, him and Scrooge, that's been going on for 85 years and, and needs to be settled. And uh, Hogg is very determined to keep pestering Scrooge until he is willing to, to do it. And he's really... <laughs> Yeah. He's the portrait of a dapper southern gentleman.
1: Yes. Yes. He's got the goatee, the mustache. He's dressed with the vest and the tie and the hat. Um, but every image of horseshoe hog in this first page is one of frustration and anger. And so you don't know where this character development is going to is going to go. But Scrooge is not letting him have his way at all.
0: Right. And and uh, Hogg uses this expression that um, I don't I don't think you really hear these days. He calls him a dog in the manger because yeah. he says he alludes to this prize, which is a place called Corn Pone Gables. He says, you don't seem to want Cornpone Gables, yet you won't let me have it. You're just a dog
1: in the manger.
0: Were you familiar with that? You know, that I want idiom?
1: To- I was not familiar with that. I looked it up um, and uh, essentially it means that you don't want to give someone something that you also own, but you really don't care about very much. And it's. it's... Yeah. Yeah. It seems
0: like it's one of those old sayings that that was probably in in common parlance um, a few decades ago and has just fallen out of favor. But that's pretty that's a pretty useful expression. And it's exactly what I thought it was from context. Mm Um. So Warren, before we kind of dig on to the next page, I like, I, I'm really intrigued by the character of Horseshoe Hawk. I i find it really kind of refreshing that he is not a villain.
1: No, he's an adversary. He's someone who, if when you look at Scrooge's family history as we move back in time... His ancestors, Horseshoe Hog's ancestors, kind of grew up with Scrooge's ancestors, and it 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 really brings another uh, level of of interest to the whole Duck universe and to the whole to the whole ancestry. So he's not he's not a villain. Someone who wants to uh, strike a deal with his uh, his old nemesis. Yeah, maybe nemesis is too strong a word. Yeah.
0: I mean, yeah. they're adversarial, but like, Absolutely. there's they're they're in competition, but but they're they're never like really. He he's not villainous. He's no. not scheming. He kind of reminds me of some of the later um, competitions that you'll see in some of the like nineteen sixties Scrooge stories. You know, some of those like tycoon competitions
1: ah, that you'll sure. have later. So you um, but
0: yeah, I find yeah. that refreshing.
1: No, I do too. But Scrooge isn't having any of it. He's happy making money and Horseshoe Hog is just, <laughs> yeah, McDuck is only interested in making money, he says. Right.
0: Oh. And, and you can tell that Hogg is like, he, he's clearly written as being very rich, but he's not like rich for the sake of being rich like Scrooge is. We're going to see him willing to like right. s- spend money to get things done. He He's an interesting contrast. It's kind of a shame that he doesn't really appear. Um, Other than in like some sequel stories, I guess, his ancestor. Mm -hmm. So, you know, getting further into the story, um, Scrooge is is basically relating to Donald and and Huey, Dewey and Louie what the whole story is, right? And he explains that he and Hogg were locked in this competition. They, they had their their ancestors, their ancestors sounds like really old, their their uncles oh. had a race that they never finished to determine the ownership of this place, Cornpone Gables. And he shows him a helpful picture of it. Um, And it's a beautiful old southern mansion, as Donald character characterizes it. And so you want to tell us what Scrooge explains about 1870?
1: Well, yeah, they were were the uh, river captains. Horseshoe's uncle was Porker Hog, and his boat was called the River Bell. And uh, Scrooge, uh, leaning back in his chair, is just fondly remembering that his uncle was Captain Pothole McDuck, and his boat was the Sternwheeler Cotton Queen. So again, it took me back to 1870. So I did a little research, and sure enough, the great steamboat race of 1870 actually did exist uh, oh, nice! between the Natchez and the Robert E. Lee, and it really did take place on the Mississippi in that year. So I have to believe that was Barks's inspiration for this story. Oh, yeah,
0: absolutely, right? Because he, he um, identifies the race as starting yeah. in Natchez, which I guess must be taken from that. That's a good catch. I didn't, yeah. I didn't
1: look that up. And so that just a little bit of historical <laughs> perspective. Um, when you look at the year 1870 or five years after the Civil War, America needed healing. Everyone in America and the press picked up on this great race of 1870, and it just marveled America. Now... The steamboat, as a mode of transportation, was coming to the end. What was taking over? The train, the locomotive. And that's what was going to you know, connect the, the two halves of the country, east and west. So um, this was sort of the last hurrah for the steamboat, uh, and they lasted a few years later. But that race, that famous race between the Natchez and the Robert E. Lee, what really took America by storm. And I think it was just so filled with American history and so Americana in its iconic nature barks could not resist by creating his own little uh lore i i love that's,
0: it yeah that's awesome thanks so much for sharing that warren um that's a great catch so you know i i like this the um the ducks are really intrigued by oh, scrooge yeah recounting this and they're like encouraging him to, to tell them the rest of the story yeah, and, yeah. and things kind of screech to a halt because Scrooge says that there is no more story the, the race had this really ignoble end where neither of the boats reached the finish line because the cotton queen hit a snag and the river bell blew her boilers and, and in the flashback panel we see that they were in really close proximity to each other I and again this, this doesn't it- seem Seem to be like usually if Barks goes into a flashback like this in like um the horseradish story, it's gonna be because of like some kind of sabotage or something. But but no, that, that doesn't seem to be the case. And so Scrooge says that you know the boats are still there and that horseshoe's proposal is that the boats be raised and they race them all over again because they've inherited these claims. And, and uh, Hogg thinks that that's the only sporting way to settle whose property it is. And Warren, this seems really fitting, right? Because it seems like what a stereotypical quote, Southern gentleman would, mm. would propose, or at least our, our cultural idea of what he would say
1: or sure, a fair and square race uh winner take all in this case corn pone gables and uh and then i had to kind of think a little bit about that original deal that their uncles made that they both own the claim and therefore we go back to that dog in the manger <laughs> so, right like co- I, I genuinely
0: love- couldn't I- scrooge just just yeah. give it to him if he doesn't want it <laughs>
1: exactly
0: but of course scrooge mcduck never never gives anything away for free
1: that's absolutely correct but donald and the boys are now very intrigued and uh the boys get all excited here, you know. What, you know, what a what a great prize! This mansion, this southern mansion. Why don't you race him, Uncle Scrooge? They're just absolutely convinced that he needs to follow through on this. But Scrooge won't have it.
0: Right, right. And and they kind of plant this little seed, right. While Scrooge is like ranting about how um, expensive this whole process would be, they're talking about how great it would be if he could live there like a real southern gentleman if he won the race. And and it kind of gets into Scrooge's head, you know, and mm. on the next page, he's kind of doing that like far away uh, daydreaming look. Barks does a really nice job oh. portraying this. And and so he he does. He visualizes. He thinks about corn pone gables. OK, so, Warren, this 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 is the part of the story that I find a little bit uncomfortable. OK, right? I, I'm just going to read what Scrooge is thinking to himself. He he ponders thinking it would be kind of nice to be a southern gentleman. I could wear a big hat and grow a goatee. Um, and he kind of pictures himself looking a little bit almost, you know, Colonel Sanders-ish. Yeah, exactly. So that stereotype. Thing. Right. Yeah. And he says, I can see myself now sitting on the veranda at cornpone gables, sipping a soda and listening to the cotton pickers strum their
1: banjos. Yeah, that's where it takes a turn
0: so. I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, this is this is a like fond reminiscence of the plantation ethos, and and I'm sure there are regular listeners who are like, uh-oh, Mark is going to go off on one of his like <laughs> uh, socially conscious tangents. I I don't really begrudge Barks for doing this. Like, it it looks to a lot of people, it feels weird and gross today to kind of like. Like look back with fondness on on this whole sort of plantation style, right? People now nowadays you'll see people like having plantation weddings, and when that comes out later, they get they tend to get in a lot of trouble because because we realize what the plantation was built on, right? It, it was built on slavery, um, and and there's nothing about that here direct. You know, he, it's not meant to evoke that. It's just, it's just unavoidable. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's, you know, yeah, that's I,
0: what I, it is.
1: I understand, and and no, no, you're you're. There's certainly no rant here. I, I I think there's a there's a the recall of a time when I I guess I do take issue with the term cotton pickers, but that's you know there's so much slang that comes out of that as you know um but his reminiscence with his eyes closed is one of of the um the sweet south and the music of the south and that that time so yeah i guess uh today doesn't hold up um, but back then that's what, uh, that's what the images were.
0: Right. Well, there was like a whole, I mean, it was extremely popular in the forties and fifties to like, even, even Yankees would, they kind of bought into this, right? The South really sold itself, um, this, this sort of lifestyle after the civil war, it was like this effort to kind of reclaim their heritage away from slavery. It, it was a bit of a schnookering, but like people loved films like, um, like gone with the wind and song of the south. And there was just this kind of mythology. So I'm not trying to pick on barks like, cause everyone did this but it does look weird to see scrooge imagining himself as essentially a plantation owner
1: a plantation owner and uh that, don't forget the huge uh, hollywood musical called showboat that was all about uh the south and and that oh, sa- yeah. same era but what i uh, you know I, at another c- context on this page i love it now scrooge is back in his money bin on his on his money having this sort of daydream and and uh but the idea is now getting into his head that he can't he cannot not compete with the court with the horseshoe. Right. It,
0: it, it kind of reminds me of that moment and back to the Klondike where he mm-hmm. kind of like is reminiscing and then he all of a sudden demands to Donald, you know, we, we are going on a journey once he remembers because he does the same thing here, except um he'll, it'll be a moment before he tells Donald about it. He, right. he ends up calling horseshoe hog and he does this kind of like funny little bit of turnabout, right? He was the one dragging his feet, but now we get this funny comic beat where he, he says, you can't start until tomorrow. Why all the stalling? You go, on chicken or something
1: um, a big horse you called him chicken earlier and now he's turning the tables on him i love right that.
0: and and so basically the ducks are off scrooge scrooge does what he usually does with his nephews he ramrods them into yeah. joining along another adventure slash treasure hunt slash competition and he thinks that he has got a leg up because you know he he's ready to get started on a nice fast plane and he's he explains to them on the plane that he's kind of changed the um, the rules. He's proposed a rules change. What has he uh, suggested now?
1: Yeah, he was able to convince Horseshoe that they, instead of starting the race over from the original starting line or uh, uh, origin, that they're going to uh, start the boats right from where they are, uh, uh, you know, and uh, race to the end of that from there. So um they thought that was a good idea. It means that whoever gets his boat out of the mud and get it going first uh, is that much ahead of the other guy.
0: Right. And I really like this aspect of the story from a, a storytelling perspective because it adds a whole new dimension to it. You know, it does. Um,
1: it it and like I said earlier, it moves it along. It gets you right in the thick of the race, right from the beginning, instead of having to deal right. panels that take you back. So I think it's a wonderful Wonderful story point.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's very zippy. Um, and so we we see the ducks on their plane and they are overtaken by like a supersonic jet and, <laughs> uh, and and a stewardess. I would usually say flight attendant, but she is definitely coded as one of those 1950s, very elegant, very attractive stewardesses. Yes. Um, explains to him that it's a rich sportsman in his jet racing plane. Um, and we learn the predictable. It's Horseshoe Hog bound for the Mississippi at 700 miles an hour. So you know, Scrooge, we, Scrooge gets that moment where he gets kind of knocked off his perch.
1: I like that we hear we hear Horseshoe Hog referred to as the rich sportsman. You know, mm. it, it puts him in that class. So he's got money. We know that he can afford this jet, this very, very futuristic looking. Uh, I don't know if this is about the time that Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier, but pretty close. Uh, right like that um and he's going at 700 miles an hour so i love how scrooge just collapses and you have that wonderful thought bubble of the coin with the wings flying away right classic
0: yeah and you know it makes me think that it would be fun to have brought hog back for more of these encounters because like the that sort of Character typology was not really in Scrooge's like stable of nemeses or foils, right? It does, it brings a bit of a new dimension. So when the ducks arrive at Natchez, Uh, Scrooge is really deflated, but, um, he, he's got the old sunk cost fallacy on his mind, right? When the other ducks propose giving up, he's like, I I spent a dime for this river chart. So we've, we've got to get on with it
1: now. It's a great reaction from Donald there, isn't it? Just slap yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah but they uh, they're on the next panel they're they're up, they're on the mississippi and they come up on the cotton queen and all you can see are the stacks the uh the stacks from the ship uh above the the water line uh now right. they figure out how they're going to raise it
0: yeah this is this is the part where the other ducks learn that uh scrooge doesn't really have any idea for it that's what he brought them along for that's right
1: um, they're there yeah
0: uh, but fortunately he's got, you know, his Deus ex woodchucks along with him. That's um, right. But, but before the woodchucks get, we'll get their bright ideas. We get to see hog lifting his boat with a couple of crane barges. What, what do you think Warren of that? That's like, um, wide panel, that full width panel of the.
1: Yeah, this, the, the artwork here is just stunning. I think, I think this is where, where. Where Barks really had fun with with not only the history and and raising these boats, but capturing what they might look like after being down in the water for over eighty years, and uh, just the I just love the landscape, the birds, the water, the this. Cloud. Yeah, he
0: does his uh, bird foregrounding in this panel too. I always like that.
1: And and but no, he's using technology. He's showing, and, and I, I made a note here that that Barks is the just quintessential teacher. He is teaching history, every story almost, and this one has so many facts that he'll point out about how to raise and how to restore and, and and well, we'll get into the story, but this is the, the teacher Barks that I think I was fascinated with as a young boy when I read these stories just to learn more about it.
0: Yeah, it does feel very, like, realistic, the mechanics of, of all this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the... the one of his nephews tells him, you better stop pinching pennies here, worrying about dimes, um, or you're going to lose the race. And so we get this very like important line for the rest of the story where he admits, I guess you're right, but brother, corn gables better be worth this money or four bright young ducks are going to have to scatter in all directions. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And, and there's a fistful of cash that he's kind of going through as well. Right.
0: And eventually the the nephews bust out their woodchuck guidebook and they they propose that they can get the um the ship raised for a thousand bucks.
1: Yeah, which is um, only and, one of the bills in the in the handful of cash. I just I love that.
0: Yeah, that's true. And Warren, do you, do you want to tell us about what they come back with?
1: Well, yeah, they uh, you know they're looking over at Horseshoe and his very expensive looking cranes, and they're they're absolutely confident there's a better way to raise boats in their uh, woodchuck's guidebook. So they go off Scrooge's uh, creating a worry circle in in the grass there. Yeah, and he's they, got
0: his own little like uh, portable worry room grooved <laughs> he does
1: he does uh, and he sees uh, he looks off and sees horseshoe making uh, pretty good progress when the ducks uh, the boys and Donald come back uh, with a little barge and uh, where's the fancy equipment there's there's nothing that he thought they would bring back and he says we've got it Uncle Scrooge 2,000 old inter- inner tubes and six miles of baling wire. And this is the ingenuity that they found uh, by looking through their Woodchuck's guidebook. Again, the boys, uh, their resourcefulness is unbelievable here. Right.
0: And so what do we get here, Warren? We get another
1: boat raising sequence. It's not ping pong balls this time. No, it's no, it, it's, it's inner tubes and diving gear. And the boys uh, are now instructing Uncle Scrooge as to how they're going to raise this boat. Huey Hugh, is going to go down uh, with air hoses and inflate all the tubes. And Dewey and Louie are going to go down and start wrapping the deck with all the, the bailing wire. Scrooge is going to stay on there. And his job is to cast off when the Cotton Queen comes up under the uh, the force of these these buoys. But yeah, this isn't the this isn't the first time we've seen this. Mark, you're right.
0: Right, he he did this several years back, um, in a pretty famous story called the sunken yacht. It was one of the first ten pagers that I covered, uh, yep. and this was featured. And this was one of, that was one of the like barks in pop culture moments, right? Because they talked about it in Popular Mechanics and on MythBusters, on the Discovery Channel, and so on. And it's interesting that this other boat raising technique gets glossed over because. I guess ping balls, ping pong balls, fire the imagination a little more, and and some some nut actually did it <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a few right. years later. So you know, I like this. What I like about the sequence here, Warren, is that like Hogg's um, crew, they're they're kind of smugly watching on, but again, like Hogg himself is never villainous
1: about no, this. This, he's, a, this he's really
0: just in it for the race you know
1: he is and he's looking on in kind of mild amazement um and he knows something that the cotton queen was cypress so she'll have a bottom but only if her nails haven't rusted away but look at the look in his eyes he's he's yeah. looking in, in in kind of competitive uh, admiration is the only right. thing i can say
0: right and and he is taking his time because he doesn't think much of their their technique That's true. um but uh but again there's no like efforts to sabotage or anything like this Um, i did look it up apparently cypress is a very good wood to survive underwater for a while so good i think barks knew what he was talking about and we do eventually get a pretty great splash panel where this like jury rigged boat does rise with a with a pretty jaunty blurble sound effect.
1: It's a very cool panel. We seldom see half page splash panels uh, of this detail uh, in any of the duck stories. So again, I think I'm I'm really attracted to these great non, there's, there's not a spoken word in them. You just, it's this story arc that now it's up and now the race must begin. And I just I just love this. Right.
0: Boy, Barks just he loves to draw boats, ships sure does. and boats and riggings and masts. every every opportunity he can. You know, so the ducks can continue to secure it. We get a great little comic beat here where yeah. the rising boat has uh, stuck Scrooge on his little skiff boat because he forgot to cast off.
1: Uh, that's a great comic bit and again the artwork here is just fascinating every every uh, line of wire is drawn to detail and uh yeah. and if you look carefully it is every line of wire is holding down uh an inner tube and it's just it's got all of the underwater algae and seaweed or whatever you want to call that that would have been down there i just it's just a really a, a beautiful beautiful panel okay.
0: And so the next sequence is going to basically be all about the duck's efforts inside the interior of the newly raised ship, um, trying to clean it up, trying to get it ship shape. There's, there's some really funny comic beats here where Scrooge gets covered in a pile of catfish. Yeah. Uh, are you a catfish fan, Warren?
1: Uh, well, I love eating catfish. I've had right. it. And yeah, it, that's I, what I meant. Yeah, I, I, I've actually, I haven't caught any, but... Uh, but I do like catfish, yeah. So if
0: you live near the Mississippi in in the southern states, catfish is always on the menu. Yes, right. It's easy to get. When I visit my my folks in Arkansas, it's easy to get catfish. Does does catfish on the menu extend that high up the Mississippi?
1: Only on rare occasions, I'd say. Probably past St. Louis, you aren't going to find it very much.
0: Yeah, it's probably not much of a Yankee thing,
1: huh? But I. Um, but to barks's technique here of teaching you know that brass doesn't rust so the 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 cotton queen's engine is our brass and then of course he opens it up and then that's when the catfish running but again i'm just i'm just fascinated by the detail of everything from the uh you know, the prep prepping it and getting it all set.
0: Yeah. And I mean, we've got a little bit of hand waving. It's it's awfully easy to get this uh, old sunken riverboat in running shape. But um, I, but it's like a comic book logic.
1: Appropriate. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy it for this story. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Likewise. Um. And, and then we get kind of the last important element of the story introduced. Do you want to tell us about Scrooge's allergy here?
1: Yeah, this is where we are. You see a kind of a late story running gag here. He um, He'll see if there's anything aboard that they can burn for fuel. And he finds these barrels, um, these hickory knots. He says, no hickory knots. Nothing but these barrels of crusted molasses or something. And then he starts sneezing. And this is you know, really a funny sequence here because that one scene on that page where he sneezes and he backs into the barrel uh, with his eyeglasses and his hat flying off is just really wonderful. Yeah, it's uh, a fun one. But, uh, but, the, but he's sort of his allergies and the musty smell don't go together. And uh, he's not uh, he's not handling it very well here. But we see this time and again throughout the story here.
0: Right. And he alludes to being allergic to musty smells like like uh, the bottom of his money bin.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
0: And and these barrels end up being pitch, which is a yeah. perfect fuel. Mm-hmm. And um uh, I think at the end of this page, Hogg notices that they're firing up their boilers and he's despairing because, you know, his crew is telling him they're not ready. They, they've got to finish bolting the engines in their hold. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and so the ducks, they get off to an early lead. But they do like Barks does this this really funny thing that he likes to do where it, it almost doesn't matter who gets off to a quicker start because he's going to um, he's going to throw all these little random obstacles that's just going to keep turning the tides of, of who's ahead in the competition so that you you can't it just makes it so unpredictable it's very barksian to me I like it a lot
1: back and forth and I don't know if the rule of three applies here but I think it might they um, will go back and forth you know two or three four times before right. we, we have an outcome here
0: yeah, they keep exchanging the lead, and and we get the, the the running bit where Scrooge ends up sneezing through his river chart. Um, <laughs> they end up they end up losing some time to go back for it, and
1: even though they even though they find the uh, the missing map and you know the map that blew out from the sneeze, uh, they put it back, and then of course, uh, well that, that that map was from eighteen seventy, so. <laughs>
0: right it leads them to a dead-end channel yeah. and we get we get one of bark's classic scrooge's so cheap gags you want to tell us about it
1: well he says look it only cost a dime the new ones doggone it it, it would have cost me a whole dollar and <laughs> it just classic uh it,
0: it is classic I'm i'm sure it's a little bit eye-rolling but um But those of us who love the Scrooge stories love this, this kind of thing. Um, I I really like the bit of writing a little bit, a few panels back where Scrooge points out that the boiler is leaking badly. And he asks Louie if the the Woodchuck's guidebook says what to do about boilers in that condition. And Louie just just prosaically reads, it says to jump overboard and swim for your life.
1: (laughs) But of course- Gables within my grasp," he says. But right, that is a great gag, and I'm sorry I missed that earlier. But yeah, I kind of skipped over that to get to the. No, I just
0: I love that. That that's one of my favorite bits of writing. One of my favorite gags. So the the race kind of continues. I guess really it just gets underway because they the ducks have to they have to turn all the way back basically to where they began because of his cheapness.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah.
0: And hog is the hog and the, his river bell have just finally gotten underway and at this point the ducks have totally run out of pitch
1: that's right yeah that rip up the cabins and the deck nails the sun's dried them enough to burn them by now you know and so now they're, they're the desperation has really kicked in because again horseshoe is taking over the lead so what a fix we're in but he starts sneezing again and of course he rips the the wheel right off of the uh, the boat.
0: Right, he ends up wearing the ship's wheel and the ducks do the kind of kind of predictable thing where they use the wood of the boat itself for fuel um and Hogg points out that you know the lighter the boat gets the faster she goes so he switches he orders them to give it full throttle and what happens when they give it full throttle
1: well unfortunately a uh, horseshoe hog's boat uh basically just basically splits in half um he knew that the new engine was too powerful for this old rotten Hulk, sir, says one of the deckhands. Uh, never mind, the race isn't over. Not until the Cotton Queen reaches the finish line at the end of the buoy up ahead.
0: Yeah, so we've got this great, again, this is very Barksian, right? Where where a race is going to um, come down to this kind of pathetic, like, staggering to the end conclusion. Yeah,
1: I got a sense that the Cotton Queen is just drifting right now.
0: Right, right. It's very pathetic. They're both basically coming to a halt right before the finish line. Twenty um, feet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Just twenty feet away, and and the ducks run out of wood, and and then and then Barks uh, go go for it, Warren. Tell us about how the running gag comes back into play.
1: Well, now the sneezing couldn't happen at a better time because as as uh, Scrooge kind of gears up for that big sneeze from his allergic reaction to musty places it pushes that final achoo pushes him right over the finish line and then we see this this horrible wreck of a ship make it and of course they're all they're all happy and we it takes us right to corn pone gables mark take us home right
0: yeah I, I love that right he sneezes right into the paddle wheel it's totally cartoon logic um yeah. Yeah. And and as you mentioned the ducks uh, they they are victorious and Scrooge does win the full title to Cornpone Gables um and he approaches it in a very excited manner saying he can't wait to move in and become a southern gentleman mm-hmm. and and I I don't like these moments where characters are kind of proposing to like abandon what makes them them I think that's probably one of the things I didn't like this about this as a kid i just i want scrooge to always be like his rich tycoon self but um but anyway it's it's he has to be excited for the sake of this final gag where where he opens the door the the mansion is looking extremely dilapidated he, he comments kind of offhand that yes it, it does smell a bit uh
1: musty and uh, uh how does it wrap up warren well uh, we thought that we saw the final sneeze but not quite uh this this sneeze brings down the entire cornpone gables mansion and then he races off after the ducks <laughs> basically yeah, <laughs> you're
0: right it, it feels like that last sneeze should have been the really big like comic capper finale of that that running gag but, but Barks gets in another great one here. He does. And it it really ends with a callback to that panel where he says, you know, this mansion better be all it's cracked up to be, or I'm gonna chase you off into the four corners. Yeah, it so is there it is, Warren. This is like a jaunty, brisk, breezy story. Um Good work. but it's it's very satisfying, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh we, we get to meet uh, this non-villainous adversary who seems to be a um a, a fair sport, the southern gentleman and horseshoe hog. Um I agree. I wish I could have seen him in other stories, but uh, we get a little taste of the Mississippi, a little bit of history with steamboats and the romance of that uh, era and uh, the racing. And we now know that it was tied to an actual race in 1870. Um, it's just a nice little ducktail. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I think so. It's it's never it's never been one of my favorites, as I mentioned, but it is like a very satisfying, tight little story. The, the stakes are much lower than well, most of the stories uh, from from the Scrooge adventures around this era. I mean, he's not you gonna
1: know. lose fortune here. This is right. not losing a fortune. It's about gaining a house that he's interested in perhaps moving to. And I never I never thought of him abandoning Duckburg and the money bin. I always I kind of looked at this as a summer vacation home that he would want to go visit. And I could, I could buy that.
0: Sure. I could see that. I could also see him getting like incredibly bored after like two days and, and, uh, and abandoning cornpone gables. Can I say, by the way, that the name of that mansion is outstanding?
1: Yeah. But what, what do you when you what do you hear the word cornpone? What does that say to you?
0: I mean, cornpone is just one of those like very stereotypical, like uber uh, American South things yes. to say. Yeah. We we talk about like the Southern accent literally being cornpone. Oh so.
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: It's it's very funny. Um, there's some sharp writing in this one. It's always great to see him drawing vessels. He's just so you, you can tell the the joy that that it brings him to to draw boats.
1: I think drawing the boats and again, that wonderful half page splash panel with the uh, the boat uh, surfacing to the cotton queen coming up is just brilliant. And again, it, it reinforces what you just said. Uh, he loves drawing these these vessels and uh, and he loves the ducks in these uh, these. But I would call American adventures, you know, right. right. Their home.
0: Yeah, this is one of the stories that really points out that, despite being like a Scottish duck, Scrooge is like profoundly American.
1: Yeah, and I think we're we're hitting a stride here, and in other stories after Fifty Five, where I think Scrooge, uh, we could talk about this, but Scrooge might be at the peak of his of his character development now. He's he's getting there. He's maybe not quite, but he's we're seeing some of these other family history. uh, memories come back, we're seeing some of these wonderful adventures that are happening within the country, not necessarily in, in Duckburg, um, but yeah, I, I, I we're really kind of seeing Scrooge now kind of fully develop here. Yeah,
0: I, I think to my eye, he is basically fully developed okay at this point um i mean that's just where i am i don't i don't think there's much more evolution left in the character but uh that'll be interesting to pay attention to as as we continue to go along
1: yeah i think you're right i think i think he's about as far as you're going to go but this but he probably peaked in the in that 52 to 55 time period right
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, let's talk about the critical consensus on this one yeah, one index say? Um, index, which of course is the site where users can rank and vote on the stories. and uh, you know it's not gospel or anything, but it does give us a pretty good idea of what the community thinks about it. So out of ten, this one gets a seven point seven mm. um which is good for number one hundred and thirty nine. Out of all 42,000 or so stories that are ranked on Index. So that's like a a very well-ranked story. For Barks, it is, I would say, kind of pretty good. So this is a pretty average story among Barks adventure stories. That's still like it still is, is considered great compared to most, you know, other creators. I think that's about right. I think this I personally think this is a pretty average story. But again, it's not one that I read early on, so it doesn't have like a nostalgic hold for me. Sounds like you'd probably rank it as kind of a personal favorite. Maybe it's got a bit of a nostalgic
1: I think the nostalgic part is what what I I talked about first and it also aligns with another Um, important piece of Disney history. If you think about the release date of this in September of 1955, I would imagine that Barks wrote this earlier that year. Is that correct?
0: Oh, yeah, I think so. Let's see. This one was written in February of
1: 1955. So while February of 55, remember, Disneyland was being built at the time. And so we have that Disneyland built in one year and one day, and and uh, it, and so Barks certainly working um, as an artist in Southern California knew about this in adventure or this this venture, and and I think the whole eighteen seventy steamboat race, and plus there was no secret that the Mark Twain, the Disney steamboat at Disneyland, was going to launch on July seventeenth, nineteen fifty five. There's all these wonderful, which I like, is sort of the the historical. Placement of where these events occurred, and though this story was timed, I think really nice to the opening of Disneyland.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I'm glad you pointed that out. And and you know, really, it's it's hard to remember, but like the Mark Twain stories, they figured so prominently. Oh. I mean, they they still do, right? It's he's mm-hmm. he's a great American storyteller, but I, I definitely feel like in the 50s, those were a lot more salient. Oh, time.
1: yeah. And I also think this story, uh, as I read it again uh, for the first time in a long time, and I really I get brought back memories, which is kind of what I'm talking about. I think it would have been a great animated cartoon. I really think this would have been a great cartoon. It right at the heyday of Donald Duck in the 50s, too. But it it didn't. And uh, and I think its placement in in sort of that in ducks universe is uh, is very fair. I think it's a it's a better than I would call a better than typical story. Sure.
0: Yeah, I won't argue. This would this this seems rife for um, for animated adaptation. You know, you mentioned Disneyland. We we sh- we should not fail to point out the uh, the other Carl Barks river race story, right? Which oh. was in the um, the the weird Uncle Scrooge goes to Disneyland.
1: Yeah, I have that original Dell comic too. And you've got the, the great reprint there. Uh, yeah. What was that right. called again?
0: And and that was called, I think that's called the Fantastic River Race.
1: Ah, there you go.
0: And that literally was meant to celebrate Disneyland's opening. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, like Barks did um, he did a couple of great river race stories. That one's a little bit odd, a little bit unique, but but it's still a great read. And um yeah, very memorable. Uh, let's talk about kind of the legacy of this story. Warren, I would say that this one really has kind of a big afterlife for like a, a little 16-pager, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. I think so.
0: So this story, despite being, again... Pretty jaunty. Um, this this ended up being a, a huge part of the basis for Don Rosa's big project, uh. The Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck. A lot of his like second chapter, The Master of the Mississippi story was based on the events from this, Scrooge's recollections, and also that other riverboat story, the Fantastic River Race. Um, but but Rosa took a lot from from those stories. To, to develop
1: well rose uh, and other artists who who followed in this fo- these footsteps really did uh pay homage to the to the riverboat story here. And I think you know, this is the basis. This was the groundwork. This set the set the stage. And again, I just I would say it's because it's a great American adventure.
0: And it stands to reason that people would be nostalgic for this earlier time in American history in the post war period. Yeah, I agree. Um, the, the last thing I'll mention as far as adaptations is that this story did get a, a pretty brief um sort of duck adaptation. Ah, one I would of
1: that. Okay.
0: Yeah, wh- one of the episodes from the first run of the series, Dime Enough for Luck, is mm. kind of like it's meant to be sort of recounting how Scrooge made his fortune and, and got his number one dime. I would say it is not one of the series' best episodes, but the the, the little brief sequence that adapts this is mm-hmm. it's probably the strongest part of the story. And, you know, it, it literally does name-check Corn Pone Gables.
1: Oh, it does. Um, it, yeah. Then I yeah. That did actually become a bit of an animated film. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, it wouldn't. It would definitely wouldn't leave you satisfied. Okay. Um, but, but it was cool to see it. You know, they, they move in that weird early 90s animated way. The boats like are moving unnaturally. Oh, um, right. I think Barks would have hated it. But yeah. but anyway, got got to mention it. Yeah, no, no oil paintings that I'm aware of or lithographs or anything for this nope. one. So um, yeah, you know, it's a short story. So there may not be as much to say about it, but uh, it's definitely a fun one that I am pleased to have revisited. Yeah, it
1: was fun. I again uh, the 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 splash panel there that we talked about very memorable. Um the artwork on the river, the the ad- attention to detail uh of the steamboats and uh, their their structure and even their rebuilding. He uh he didn't cut corners there and uh and then of course he knows as a beautiful as a wonderful storyteller. He knows how to add those gags, the the sneezing of Scrooge and uh, establishing that wonderful uh, rivalry between him and this new, great new character, Horseshoe Hog.
0: Right, for sure. Um, you want to hit us with the one or two favorite panels that we didn't mention, Warren?
1: Yeah, uh, sure. Uh, well, I think when I look back at memorable panels, um, uh, I, I, I'll repeat again that that the 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 Cotton queen coming up above uh, surfacing is is wonderful um, i do really like uh, the the joke the the uh, the sneeze of scrooge just going back into that barrel of pitch i think that's yeah. a wonderful piece of artwork i you, i love it when he exaggerates the the form of 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 the ducks those are those are fun
0: yeah, that's an excellent one. And and as you say, there's a few of them that are pretty obvious. So I, I'll go to a couple of less obvious ones.
1: Yeah, with, I what...
0: like the one where one of the nephews is levering himself against the machinery of the engine as they get it started. I think that just looks really neat. He's yeah, like full-on yeah. horizontal. And then I, I like Scrooge under the pile of catfish.
1: And you mentioned the nephews and the, the one shot of of uh, I can't remember which nephew it was. Uh, Oh, he's in the office at the beginning of the story and it's um, it's the nephew leaning on a cane like a little southern gentleman. um, That is cute. That, that's cute. I, I love to see him uh, up there.
0: Excellent. Well, Warren, thank you so much for joining me for this yeah. episode. Um, I hope people know where to find us at this point. We've got uh, Barks Remarks on a couple of the socials, Facebook and, and Instagram. And uh, please join us next time as we get to cover the second story in this uh, issue of Uncle Scrooge, Riches, Riches Everywhere. Warren, can you hit us with the uh, dialogue on the final panel?
1: Absolutely. And so you rattleheads and your romantic ideas about the old salt—wait till I catch you! Awesome. Thanks
0: for. Thanks again, Warren.
1: Thank you, Mark.